With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to a football podcast. My name is Devang Desai and I'm joined by the usual suspects, David Goss and Nick Andrade. This week we chat MLS playoffs, Hamilton Forge and the CCL with One Soccer's Andy Petrillo, the passing of Diego Maradona, headlines across Europe, and of course it's the mailbag with Ask AFP. Gentlemen, how are we doing? It's just post-Thanksgiving week in the US, so... I'm 40 pounds heavier. I feel like I can't lift my right arm, yeah. but I had a great time. And that's kind of the thing you accept. I've, I don't really buy butter or heavy cream. I've never used them in my life. I have seen more of that in the last four days than my entire life. David, what were the fixins uh, that you had at your dinner? Some good stuffing, which is key. Mm-hmm. Mashed potatoes, Brussels sprouts, and some roasted carrots, which are all good to go along with turkey. But the key is not the meal. The key is the leftover sandwich, and that has to be on rye bread. That is Ooh, the rule. Okay. So you go rye bread, you put a little cranberry sauce on to kind of like re-moisturize everything. Then you go stuffing mashed potatoes, heat it up, turkey cold, you put all that in a sandwich, and then that's the big moment. I don't have my degree in Thanksgivingology, but I've been to a few dinners myself. And I think the the thing that pops the most, if it's done right, has to be stuffing. If it is, if yeah. the stuffing is good, you're set. It, it, the turkey could be sent to another room or even outside of the house <laughs> and the meal is fine if the stuffing is good. Okay, question then, because I've seen a lot of slander on the timeline uh, this last week, is, is turkey, like, do you guys actually like turkey? Yeah, I do. I like turkey. I enjoy turkey on Thanksgiving. I would eat turkey more often if I could. I'm a big turkey guy. Everything has its place. I understand because I have friends who are like, I just make smoked brisket. It's like, yeah, for sure. You can eat smoked (laughs) brisket every day and it'd be good. You'd also die. Turkey is good and it has its place. And like on Thanksgiving when it's like a full bird roasted, not like sliced for, you know, a deli sandwich. It's money. I appreciate it. It's money. Good Lord. It's money is the pull quote from this. Uh, it's money. I, I mean, I'm not down. I have to be honest. I'm not down with turkey. I don't come across it that often. Um, mm. And if I did, I think I'd meet it with some indifference and walk away pretty quickly. <laughs> wow. Wow, Devang. This is where it ends. I, the thing is, though, like I, I get I get it in certain... It feels like it's a, 
a Thanksgiving thing. It's a Christmas thing, right, David? Thir- turkey, right, around that time? No, I think Christmas, this is outside my realm of knowledge, but I think Christmas is ham. What? See, I have no idea what the meat the meat lineup is. I'm what confused. is the meat lineup, Nick? Um, like for Christmas? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for Christmas, I w- turkey is involved, but I think ham is also involved, but I don't think it's a, it's exclusively ham. <laughs> you guys really go I really appreciate the experimentation. It's like, could it be turkey, ham, or both? Find out <laughs> yeah. next on this week's Christmas holidays. Christmas dinner. <laughs> guys, I bought my first ever Christmas tree this week. Ever? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm not Christian, Nick. Spoiler. So I never really bought a Christmas tree. No, I, listen. I had nothing to do with it. I always, like for me, Christmas is all about Santa and presents, okay? It's true. We called it we called it present day. As in also non-Christian households, we called it present day and had a tree that was fake. But and Did you I really? Mean, we did, yeah. We did. I mean, I really bought in. Our family bought in huge. Wow, a bang. So you were culturally celebrating Christmas. The capitalist idea of Christmas, you were yes. super down. Like that um, was instilled in me early as a, <laughs> as a youth. But the, the other aspect, like um, JC and his origin story <laughs> was not part of my my uh, my upbringing either. You don't celebrate the full Saturnalia. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I miss the tree, though. The tree rings. I, especially this year, I feel like if I had a tree to put up, people are putting it up super early. I get it. I Go mean, get a tree this year then. Sucked. Exactly. Make, make, Why? M- make yourself feel better for during the holidays. I don't know. I've single-handedly contributed to enough parts in, in the ozone layer disintegrating <laughs> that I feel like another random plastic tree is not needed for me at this. So point. what we did was we got a little one, but it comes in a pot like a plant, and then we're just gonna have it as a plant. And it smells. I know, good. You know what? That is great, and that and that could be something I entertain. All right, Christmas is saved. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe we. I can't believe me and Devang turned this into a Christmas podcast. Of all the podcasts, you think we would stay away from? By the way, I I want to apologize uh, to Devang this Finally. week. I felt Finally. I felt I was a little harsh, especially when TFC lost. Uh, I got left on red after I, you know. Uh, hit on Devang's uh, MLS bracket, so I was I was kind of I thought to myself like his team lost, and then I made fun of his bracket, and I thought okay maybe he's mad at me. He didn't respond, so I was kind of like scared a little bit. So Devang, I just wanted to apologize to you. What's What's upsetting is this apology could have been about several other things that you should have apologized <laughs> to me for um, over the past few weeks and months. But to pick this out, it's interesting, Nick. I'm glad I'm glad you feel some shame for that. Um, I was in the lowest place. I'll be honest, guys. This the football this weekend. Whoo! Yeah, I was left, I, and it, it it culminated in that final Eastern Conference semifinal on Sunday night. But I uh, I did not have a great time watching the soccer. I don't know about you guys. No, I think it was one of those weekends. I would agree with you. It's kind of one of those where you had everything on, and at some point you looked up and you're like, "Oh, this game's still on." <laughs> like, what is going Get on? Get off the this? field. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, I had to watch Liverpool at 7.30, so my whole Saturday wow. felt like forever because we had to wake up so early. We'll get to that. We'll get to the machines taking over. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if you've heard, Nick, but Jurgen Klopp's upset about things. Spoilers. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. oh, we're on Patreon, folks, and we're getting close to our goal of 30. Once we get there, more exclusive interviews with players and execs from around MLS, CPL, and the world of soccer, plus more soccer card packs. You get this show ad-free, and you get to join the Discord where there's plenty of bants to go alongside the footy. 
So remember, head over to patreon.com forward slash a football podcast and join today. Now we turn our attention to MLS where the playoff picture got a bit clearer and the upsets kept coming. Is it our credit that New England is in the Eastern Conference Finals, David? I think it is. We had Lee Nguyen on this show before they even play in game, before they even got into the actual bracket. We had one of their players on. The shelf life for that show could have been 30 seconds, David. And yet, here we are with New England in the final of the Eastern Conference. So I just, I we hadn't talked about numbers, but um, I've set a specific number when because SKC and Minnesota have been reaching out to me to make sure they get on the show because now they know. <laughs> so I've got about, it, it's a $1,500 appearance fee, but like that's it. Canadian dollars. So don't worry about it. But Devang, we'll talk numbers <laughs> later. You got to think everyone's just at this point just got to beat down our door to get there because we knew we were here. 100%. Neither of us picked New England in our brackets, but we <laughs> knew. That's why we had Leon. We didn't pick them. We barely talked about them except with Lee. And yet here we are talking about them now after Orlando's defeat in Orlando 3-1. A very MLS playoffy game and not surprising that Bruce Arena came out ahead tactically. He had it right. And then performances from the star players. This is something that Bruce Arena has been doing for many years, David. But for New England, they beat Philadelphia. They beat Orlando, two teams that we've talked about for ages on the show this season about how impressed we were. I have to ask then, what does this mean about New England? What, do we, what can we say about this? Well, I think this is a New England team coming into the year where you said if Carlos Heal and Gustavo Bo are healthy, they've got two match winners that are on par with everyone else in MLS. And then it felt like they had a deep enough roster. Then Carlos Heal was not healthy the whole season. So we didn't see the team we thought we'd see. And from there, I thought Bruce did enough to make little moves. Bringing in Lee Wynn was one of them. Um, picking up Matt Polster was one of them. To just keep the team afloat when it needed to. They hit huge on Henry Kessler in the Super Draft. They've basically got three other Super Draft players over the last two years. In Dewan Jones, Brandon Bay, and now Tejan Buchanan, who start for them or could start for them. And Matt Turner in goal, who was undrafted, that they picked up out of Fairfield. So this is a team that's built a lot of different ways. But one of the things you see in MLS is if you have a MLS veteran strength at center back, which they have in Andrew Farrell, if you got a good goalkeeper, normally an elite defensive midfielder, and then DPs that can score, you get there. They don't have the defensive midfielder, but besides that, they have everything else to put together a strong team. And now they've got two game breakers in Heal and Bo who are healthy and can beat anyone. And and Devang... I think we didn't know what 2020 playoffs would look like because it's just been so wild. But the this isn't surprising in that the hot team who kind of keeps things simple, but Bruce had one or two wrinkles, the Tejan Buchanan right back is the big one, was enough to kind of get on a roll and push them through a couple playoff games. Brampton's finest, Tejan Buchanan having an absolutely lights out playoffs. Giving heal, boo, and then maybe Tosh Buchanan in terms of three game breakers because that's where the goals have come from so far in the playoffs. David, I looked at Matt Turner. I mean, the the PK save on Nani for some reason. I felt it was destiny Nani was going to miss that, which we can get to maybe a bit later. But you know, we've seen it many years in the past. Some teams just have it. Matt Turner has been exceptional this season as well in goal for New England. There's so many people that we've seen in this league forever. And it's a callback to maybe the MLS years in the past before 
2.0 or 2.5 or whatever you want to call it. Is that fair considering that there is heel and boo there? I don't think that's fair. I don't think that that's the comp I would make. Cause you're talking about, you know, let's go back to the old revs teams. It was Pat Noonan and Taylor Twelman and Shalri. Those were pretty much built through American players. A lot of them overlooked at some time or super draft picks. I don't think this team is exactly where that is at. Um, I, I mean, Gustavo Bo is a multi-million dollar Liga MX starter. And then Carlos Hills came in as a 26 year old who from La Liga. So those are places that MLS wasn't in before. And I would say off the field, the New England Revolution, they're probably one of the teams closest to their original identity, still owned by the craft, still play at the football stadium, all those things. But they've built one of the best training grounds uh, in the league that opened up late last year. Obviously, bringing in Bruce Arena, they've changed their sporting structure to make it more professional, more forward thinking, more soccer world style uh, rather than maybe more NFL style. So they've progressed as a club off the field as well to put themselves in this situation. Now, listen, Bruce Arena is not going to sit down and talk to you about the half spaces and the counter press for an hour and a half. That's not who he is. That's who a lot of the younger coaches are. But Bruce Arena is the best at what he does. And I think you're kind of realizing, and we've seen this, I think we've talked about it on the show with Carlo Ancelotti a little, like maybe not every coach from 1995 could coach today. Bruce Arena was the best coach in 1995. So everything he does still works because he does it at such a high level. His ability to engage players, to have them believe in themselves, to trust themselves, to simplify the game for them. And it's enough to work. And I think this is a year, and Bruce Arena talked about it yesterday in his press conference where he's like, the regular season, I don't know what to tell you what it was. Like We didn't even play Orlando in the regular season. So it was chaos and they were kind of able to keep themselves steady and come out of the chaos and now find this confidence and go on this run. And Devang, this game I think was even bigger in that Orlando emotionally throws themselves out the window and New England was perfectly poised to handle that. NYCFC was not. NYCFC got sucked into Orlando's game and they lost themselves. New England, because of the mentality that Bruce Arena puts together, never went there and it allowed Orlando to just start to kick themselves and hurt themselves while New England continued steady throughout the game. Orlando, yet another just mind-meltingly stupid red card incident. This time, the talisman, arguably their most important player, Maurizio Pereira, red card in the 60th minute, no questions about it, studs up challenge into the back of Matt Polster's calf. I mean, forget the challenge, the the players rushing up to the referee right after that and hitting him and nudging him. I'm like, what are you doing? And it, and it seems super strange maybe to say this after we have been raving about the job Oscar Pereja has done in Orlando and everything they've done so well to maybe save this franchise. What a really just sad way to end it. I mean, it, it really felt like it was the worst possible ending for such a good season. I mean, we talked about... New England going up 2-0, Orlando fights back, they come back, a chance for Nani to tie the game, down a man, Turner saves it, game over. It's one of those things, I think it's hard to put your finger on. I've been around Oscar Pereja a lot. I've been around his teams a lot. And you can feel it when you're around them. He preaches family, he preaches purpose, he preaches desire. And when he says it to you, you want to do it. So I understand the players. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like he's because he, he does that the way he's you're making this sound like a cult. You're making this sound like a cult, David. I don't like how this is going, <laughs> but I've never been around a human being like Oscar Pereira who can never raise his voice yeah. and yet changes your reaction and like your emotion <laughs> to it 
so much because he's so serious and sincere with the way he speaks. But there, and I, and, and everything that he's done with that has made this team better. And they are better than they were. I mean, even the performance yesterday was better than what they put on last year. But there is a line. And Orlando, because of that, lives on that line. And over the last two games, they've crossed that line. And I think one of the things that's probably hard for them is Nani is a guy who lives and crosses that line and he's the leader. And it's almost like they they need to find a way to have someone different than Oscar Pereja be the on-field leader to kind of balance this whole thing out and not lose their composure because you look at Perea get red carded, it's Junior Urso and Nani who are coasting the referee first, and they are the two most experienced players on the field. Um, Pedro Gallese, obviously not available. He maybe would be that third. So that's the problem to me. And I get the um, let's, you know, we want everyone to be cohesive and in one unit, but you kind of need someone else to tamper things down every once in a while and change things. And they don't have that. And it's sad to Vang because, to your point, if they lose 2-1 in this game, they just lose at home to New England 2-1 in a playoff game, all we'd be talking about is how great of a year they had and what their future looks like. But because of the way they lost this game, the conversation has completely shifted. And that's unfortunate because of the work they did in 2020. How much do you want to talk about Columbus Nashville and that game, and I'm putting this in quotes, of soccer, quote-unquote, that they played on Sunday night? Uh, I think that's a fair reaction. I also think you might be a little jaded against Nashville right now. That's just a, that's just a theory. Unsure, just guessing, Devang. How do you feel? I, it's a shock. It's it's a shocking accusation um, to be leveled at me, Miss Paragon of virtue and level headedness. But I'll let you continue. So I would say this was kind of the game I expected to see. I was a little underwhelmed by Columbus's performance, but Columbus right now healthy has more game breakers than. TFC did a week ago. Mm-hmm. And so yep. I and I actually and I think Columbus is better defensively, especially their athleticism, so their ability to play in transition, which Omar really struggled with and Mavinga was poor with last week. And then Michael Bradley can't cover ground like Arthur and Nagby can. Uh, and it left a lot on Osorio's shoulders, who, especially when Toronto went 4-4-2, then had a ton of work to do in general. So I thought Columbus was set up better to beat Nashville, but it was always going to look like this. Nashville has, they're not going to beat themselves. They weren't going to open up and do something rash to try and create a chance. They were always going to sit in. They were always going to defend with numbers. And I thought Columbus was always going to break it down because of the quality of Zellerion or Zardes or Nagby or Pedro Santos. There are two, there were too many pieces to keep down the whole game. And that's, Pretty much what we saw, Devang, was Columbus kind of just spinning their wheels, waiting for someone to step up and do something. And in the end, Zellerion and Zardis did. And it wasn't an easy week for the crew either. I mean, like North America and the rest of the world, they're dealing with this pandemic. And they had a bunch of players test positive for COVID-19 ahead of this match. So to put that together, it, it definitely was not pretty. And you can tell that I did not super love this match, but they got the job <laughs> done. I, I will give credit to Nashville, though. I mean... Not only is it a weird year, you're an expansion franchise trying to start your way in this league and to have it be under these circumstances cannot be easy. But briefly, David, I think the the game plan to set up everything they did against Toronto FC, that is exactly what you would expect from their manager, Gary Smith, and a guy that is literally 
so well schooled in what it takes to win in this league and in the playoffs especially I, I think we, should, we were not surprised to see how they did that against TFC the question was did TFC have enough to break through with a burst of creative uh, just greatness and they weren't and that's what we ended up seeing yeah this game hit at the wrong time I think six weeks ago Piotti was at a better level and then kind of was out injured and hadn't really been involved and Josie wasn't healthy and when they put him up top with Io later on, which is what I wanted to see from the start, it didn't look like what I thought it would. Uh, I thought the attack lacked depth to it. Everyone kind of stayed on their line and there was no movement to to get in between Nashville's lines. And that's what Nashville does great is they stay organized. So if you leave your two strikers along that back four and they're never really dropping into the hole behind the center mids or finding space between the fullbacks and the uh, and the wingers, you were never really going to get looks. We saw one time Josie dropped deep, quick one-touch pass to Pasuelo. I think it was through to De Leon. That was the best look of the game for Toronto. Um, and that was really the only moment we saw that work. Otherwise, yeah, I think this game came at the wrong time for Toronto to try and break down a block like Nashville. And if I'm being honest, I think most teams in MLS, because it's so hard to create chances against a team like this, struggle to break a team down like Nashville. The question mark that ended up for Toronto for me was defensively because Columbus, when they struggled to score, didn't give up chances. And on the flip side, Nashville had more and better looks than Toronto throughout that game. 100%. And the number one thing that Ali Curtis and company will have to address is what is going on back there because I think you saw that there's there's some decisions that have to be made on who stays and who goes. I think Omar has one more, one more year left on his deal. Um, Simon, Zavaleta, Mavinga, like there's there's a lot of decisions that have to be made. But after the break, we head to the CCL Forge on the verge of history. We're going to chat with one soccer's Andy Petrello to break down their match in the Dominican Republic right after the break. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to a football podcast. Forge FC continues their quest to the CONCACAF Champions League. One final hurdle is left Tuesday night against Haitian side Archai FC. With us this week to talk about Forge, CPL, and the CCL, it's One Soccer's Andy Petrillo. Hey, Andy. Hi, how you doing? Doing okay. We have arguably the biggest game in Forge's young history going down Tuesday night. But I, I just, this is going to be... I believe their third game in four weeks now, and they've been to El Salvador and Panama, and now they end 
in the Dominican Republic to play a team against Haiti. And I think mm-hmm. this specific example might be the best way to encapsulate how bizarre 2020 has been. And it's been Forge mm-hmm. trekking their way to get to the CCL spot. Yeah, I mean, it is it is pretty crazy. Although I will say for Forge, they're welcoming, I think, all these games, even in this short amount of time, whereas typically soccer teams would complain about it just because of... 2020 and you know at first thinking there wouldn't be a season then they finally get the island games uh it was five weeks where you know they were all excited i mean you the the teams that didn't make it through played you know minimum seven games and obviously you know forge going all the way through playing uh 11 games and in the grand scheme of a season that's not a lot um, they really wanted the Canadian championship to be played as soon as possible. Obviously, that was not possible because of TFC having to create a home base in the States. And we all know travel restrictions and everything. So for them to get on the pitch, even train and have these uh, CONCACAF League games, it's very welcoming for them. Uh, they're, they're not complaining whatsoever. And to, you know, to even, and I'm not saying that this is going to be a walk in the park, but even more bizarre is they're taking on a team, Arkai, who even got their place in the round of 16 in CONCACAF League because another team had to pull out with COVID-19 positive tests. So that's why Arkai was able to take on uh, the Waterhouse FC from Kingston, Jamaica, and then, you know, they moved on. So they're obviously feeling lucky, but what I'm saying is we don't even know if that team would have been here. Right. right. So I don't even know what to expect from this matchup. <laughs> when you look at so far Forge's run, uh, two two one wins, both in Central America, uh, as you discussed, what have you seen from their performances? This is obviously only the second year of the CPL, but it's Forge's second year in this tournament. How have you seen them maybe progress and develop on how to compete in CONCACAF? Yeah, there's just so much composure there. There's there's no panic there's no if things aren't going their way and and to your point in that last game they needed a stoppage time you know penalty to score but they never lost their form they never started to um you know panic and and one guy tried to do it all himself because you know it's typically a team that you know has not been there done that will act but that's one thing with forge is there's just there is that type of chip on the shoulder in a good way and it just looks completely like they belong and um, if anything they're setting the tones more than the other team or if the other team does happen to get a goal first or you know just finish a great sequence of play again it's just all right go back to what we know go back to our our game plan go back to our system and let's just keep forging ahead pardon the pun but that's exactly what (laughs) forge does and you know i mean it it's a team and i know we've said this before and this really isn't surprising, but a lot of the players coming through Sigma FC, so Bobby Smirnionis, head coach, already establishing a certain kind of culture, attitude, system with these players coming on through. And then even from last year's experience in CONCACAF League, CPL CONCACAF League, I mean, they had 12 returning players. So again, it's the same leadership group. It's the same kind of culture. It's the same composure. So these guys know what to expect from one another. And there's uh, a lot of trust and it's it's evident on the pitch. It might sound a little bizarre to say, considering Forage has won the Island Games. They have the league's MVP and the best keeper on their squad. But is Bobby still underrated somehow? Because I I see he didn't win coach of the year and I I don't have an issue with Stephen Hart winning. I think what he did with Halifax was huge and and the turnaround was a big job and they got a lot accomplished. But I don't think there's really a question of who is the coach of the year in in the CPL. And I I feel like 
their success is really a product of of that connection that he that he's he's laid down there, Andy. Yeah, we Gareth and I got into a little bit on our show one soccer today because he was obviously really upset about Bobby not getting coach of the year again. Um, and and this is a it's a hotly contested award across all sports. And you know I um and I just brought up that typically for coach of the year people who are voting they want to see a coach who has done something pretty dramatic in that year right and i just finished explaining like bobby has built this culture and while that should definitely be respected um it's just where where was the drama right in the mm-hmm. calendar year or the season year um you have tommy wielden junior who you know in year 1 wins coach of the year because what he did was incredible won the spring title fall title became the first non mls team to beat an mls team in a two legged a competition in Canadian championship. Like there was history being made there. How do you not give it to Tommy? Then year two, um, you know, Stephen Hart takes a team that was last place last year, inserts new players, you know, his starting goalkeeper dealing with an injury to begin the Island games. I catch it, you know, how to basically dealt with new players, dealt with injuries, took a last place team to a championship title game, right? There's more of a turnover there. There's more of an influence in that particular year from your coach. Uh, whereas the argument can be made again, Bobby's been building this for years and years and years, 12 returning players. Where was the real drama that he had to deal with? No injuries to significant players, bit, a bit of a smooth sailing. But I, again, I think that is a little unfair because again, Bobby's work is years in the making. Whereas maybe the coach who does win does something really incredible in that one year. But like you said, you can't argue Stephen Hart winning. You can't argue Tom and Wielden, uh, Tommy Wielden Jr. winning. I always liken it to Joel Quenville of the NHL, steady with the Chicago Blackhawks, winning cups. You know, just it, it was just taken for granted that the Chicago Blackhawks were perennial contenders that he was never considered for coach of the year. And everyone's like, what the? Because there was never anything dramatic. Um, but, you know, so so that's why I think this is an award where you look at what a coach has done in that particular year as opposed to years. I want to talk about one kind of change he has made, which is bringing Moba Bully into this team. We've talked mm-hmm. about it a lot on this show, sometimes because of how good he is, sometimes for the bands, just because he's kind of a crazy, you know, personality and situation. Cult favorite, fan favorite. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> in the Island games, he was good and helpful, but maybe wasn't key in this run he has been essential to what they've done. What have you seen from his inclusion and what Bobby Smirnianos has done to bring him into the team? Yeah, what a did you're, you're right. What a character, right? Bobby had him uh, <laughs> when he was with Sigma FC, and then I think Bobby even cracked a joke where it's like one day Mo's practicing, the next day he's calling him, going, "Yeah, I'm going to Dubai. Bye." He's like, "What? Where are you, where are you going? <laughs> like, Please. what do you mean you're just, yeah? What, what do you mean you're just leaving the team, right?" And he did, and he he just like he disappeared. He I think he went to um, I think he went to you know Dubai after that. Then he was playing some indoor soccer. Like he he literally just fell off the the, the soccer landscape, especially when it come when it came to you know Canadians. And we just didn't know where he was. And he pops his head up, you know, with Forge for 2020 and uh, plays in the Island Games. And he came off the bench. I thought he was always a really good contributor off the bench. I mean, you're right. I think he picked up just a goal in that in that uh, Island Games, but picked up quite a few assists, um, you know, really changed the dynamic, changed the energy whenever he came on. And then, yeah, here he is now. I think it's maybe a comfort level too with what he's doing in, in CONCACAF League. Now he's been with the team for a few months. Now he's been, um, you know, used to the, his teammates and the system and he's really standing out. And it's just 
what a what a coup for for Bobby to to bring him back and even to get him even to get him to listen if that's even the word I'm looking for because if there if there was one scouting report that we were getting on Mo Babuli is that really good player but tends to do his own thing when he's on the pitch and especially a guy like Bobby who is you know that system driven like you go here you go here you know and you stick to that um not, not to say that he wants to stifle creativity in any way but there's a plan and you stick to it and and mo has been known to not stick to the plan that's just that's just it so we always wonder like ooh, how is he gonna react here and he did it brilliantly and bobby's handled him well and he's responded to bobby well so again just just so good for forge to have a player like that it's hard to believe Kyle Becker is 30, which made me do a double take and reassess where I am at in my life. But Annie, you've been around the Toronto soccer soccer scene for a while, so have I, and we've known Kyle Becker for a long time. I, I have to be honest, I didn't see this coming or this career arc kind of shifting the way it has where, I mean, after TFC, he was a bit of a bit at the crossroads in terms of where he was going to go with his career and, and where he went is league MVP of the Canadian Premier League. It's an incredible story, but I was wondering, I mean for you just watching this occur what has it been like mm, you know what it's it's really been great um to see him blossom into the even the leadership role that he has N- not just with forge but the cpl right because when so when it launched last year he really became the face of it right Here, here's the example of the good old canadian boy who you know dipped his toe with mls teams but then didn't really have a not like a Canadian league to land in, had to then, you know, essentially ply his trade all over the place, right? Like he was, you know, going into the States and trying to figure out, okay, I think he played for uh, San Francisco, North Carolina. And it was like, okay, why are we losing, you know, this Canadian talent to even other leagues and, and teams in the States and bring him back? Anyway, so he was like the poster boy, right? Kyle Becker is the reason why the Canadian Premier League should exist. And I think he felt that I think he felt that on his shoulders a little bit um, that he was the face of Forge being the leader for them but but the face of the CPL and I I wonder this is just you know strictly my opinion I wonder if the turning point for him was when he ended up getting suspended uh, if you do remember that um, he was up against York Nine I mean Joe DiChiara who we know is a you know what disturber uh, manages <laughs> to get under you know players skin and he ended up getting suspended for two games and the the spring season was only 10 games so i mean i'm i'm not that good at math but last i checked that's still 20 percent like big deal when you're talking about a spring title that you're going for that's only 10 games and now your captain is out for two of them right and i wonder if that was almost a moment for him where he's like okay i am doing too much like i'm taking too much on i need to get into my rhythm and i need to just do what i know how to do and you know, obviously, because to me, I felt when he came back, he was a little bit different. He was a little bit calmer. He's a little bit more confident, um, you know, shut out the noise, so to say. And he looked even better this year uh, to the point where we were having debates whether or not he was even going to win player of the year. Now he did, because again, there was nothing flashy about him this year. He just did his thing in the midfield. He was very calm. He just got the ball, you know, very quickly, one touch, 
Very rare two touches. Just get it, boom, pass it, create the play, get the ball moving forward, um, you know, calm things down when it needed to be, holding on if he had to. Like, it was just ho-hum for him. And there was the, the you know, the argument that was going on in our studio, even when the Island Games was going on, as to who should be MVP. Is it Bustos? Look at what he's doing for Pacific. No, it's got to be Garcia. This guy's a scoring machine. And look at what he's bringing his team right into the final. Like, and everyone's like, it's... You know, it's got to be Kyle. And then you have the other people saying, how could it not be Kyle? He's just so steady Freddie out there. And obviously it did end up being him. But I think uh, I think he really just settled into his role as a player and maybe blocked out the noise of the face of CPL and even, you know, face of Forge. Let's talk about CPL bigger picture, though. What does this run mean from Forge for this league? And how have maybe you seen other teams or other people around this league talking about it cheering for them not cheering for them whatever you've seen yeah i think i think we all know it's a it's a bizarre year to even see them in the canadian championship final did we see did we think we see a cpl team in the final in in year two no but do we know it's also because they couldn't have um you know the proper games and group stages and and you know uh you know knockout games to to be able to get to this point no it's like all right winner of the island games takes on winner of that nine game mini series that the three mls canadian teams had but, you know, that aside, while you might be able to put an asterisk next to that to say, oh, well, Forge got there because of this crazy year, you can't dispute what they're doing in CONCACAF League. You know, last year they got knocked out round of 16. Here they are now in the quarterfinal. If they win, they go on to Champions League, which is which is really huge. They earn that spot in there. They earned it, right? And even if they do lose, uh, you know, on December 1st, we don't want to talk about that. They'll still have a chance because um, the, the remaining two teams of the quarterfinal losing teams will have a chance to do a play-in and get in. But already, they're further than they were last year in this tournament. And, you know, they're, they're at a point right now where, you know, they can, they can book their spot in CONCACAF Champions League, and no one can dispute that. No one can say that's the bizarreness of 2020. They've been earning that. If anything, it's in spite of the bizarreness of 2020 that they're continuing to play well and, and keep their composure and travel. And, you know, not the, and I haven't heard anything, but obviously you see all the players out there. So obviously everything's good. Not having positive tests. Like I can't, I can't stress enough, like how important it's been that they clearly are being very careful with where they're going, who they're interacting with. And, and I don't think, you know, well, actually I do think people understand um, how difficult that is. The pressure of alienating yourself in many ways from family, friends, because you dare not bring COVID-19 into your team. You dare not be that person that spreads it or, or ruins it for your team. And next thing you know, you, you, you got to bow out. So they have been so disciplined for months and months now. And I think that's a credit to the team. I think that's the, you know, a credit, obviously at the Island Games, CPL, but now even Bobby and, and just keeping things so strict with his team that they've been able to also stay healthy so that they can continue competing. I, I think that should definitely be recognized. I am a, C- C- I am a CCL fanatic, so I'm very excited <laughs> if Forge get this done to get into CCL um, because it is the wildest, wackiest world. Although CONCACAF League has it. As well, I want to close you out, though, on a question maybe outside of Forge. In the CPL, we know it's going to be a long layoff. We see some teams loaning players out, mm-hmm. some teams not. What's the storyline? What are you following right now outside of Forge in the world of CPL that maybe you think people should be paying attention to? 
Oh, well, there was a lot of movement this year, right? Some big name, you know, players no longer with teams that they started off with. And, you know, York Nine had a lot of big guys move on and Joe DiChiara uh, and Manny Aparicio. So I think we're going to start to see a lot of movement in the CPL, uh, just, you know, players within actual teams. Um, then I, I, I want to see how Ottawa or Atletico Ottawa is going to do now where they maybe will have a little bit more time. Again, it may sound like next year could be a bit of a bizarre year. But, uh, you know, this, this was a team that didn't obviously have the training time together. And I want to see what Mista can do. There was the announcement, obviously, he'll come back as head coach too. So I'm keeping an eye on that. Um, and I, I personally think there is going to be a season. David Klanikin, you know, the commissioner was pretty adamant in saying, we know how to do a season pre-COVID. <laughs> we know how to do a season during COVID. We've proven we can do it. So don't tell me we can't make this other season, you know, happen. So I think it's, 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 it's going to happen. Um, and then obviously I want to keep my eye on growth. You know, year two, we saw expansion. Uh, I, I don't know if year three, again, because of COVID, I think that might derail things a little bit, but I just wouldn't be surprised if there, you know, is, is an announcement of, of a, one team at least, you know, coming to, to the CPLs that continues to grow. Um, you know, Quebec, we keep hearing they desperately want one. Even last year when we were, you know, doing the, uh, the finals, we were in Hamilton and then we were in Calgary and there was a traveling contingent of fans from Saskatchewan. They're like, we want a team. Like they made their own jersey. They made their own scars. They made like all these signs. We, uh, we, uh, one soccer held pub nights with the fans before, uh, each leg. And they showed up in full force with their signs, knowing that the commissioner was going to be there. So yeah, there's, um, people want to get involved. You know, they really want to get involved in this league. So I'm also keeping my eye on growth. Forge can clinch a spot in the 2021 CONCACAF Champions League on Tuesday night, 7.50 p.m. TSN3, tsn.ca. Andy, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Coming up after the break, we take a trip around Europe and talk sadly about Arsenal. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to AFP. Lots of news in the soccer world this week. Headlined, obviously, by the passing of Diego Maradona at 60. David huge huge loss i mean not just in terms of sport and the game but um culturally this was an icon in many ways a bit before our time maybe but i think the glory of youtube and and the internet uh, led us 
the allowed us the ability to watch every clip we wanted to and, and be able to see just what a, a phenomenon this person was. Yeah, uh, I don't think I was a Maradona guy. I wouldn't describe myself that, but I have been around a lot of people who are, and I've always appreciated the passion he invokes. Um, I was at the 2018 World Cup, and I went to an Argentina game, and I don't think they put him on camera at any point, yet everyone knew where in the stadium he was. And they would turn and sing to him. And, you know, he leans out of the VIP box. Looks like he's going to fall out during the anthem and all the other moments. And I think it was three, four days earlier, we were in Moscow and there was a, a street closed down and there was fans of every country just in their own area singing. And the Argentina fans mobbed the street for, I don't know, eight hours. And 60, 70% of the songs are about Maradona. And like, it's the one unifying thing as well, because these people are all massive fans of rival teams, but they can all always root for Diego. So I always appreciated all of that. Um, And one of those funny soccer things that just happens and you always think about, but you never really talk about is I've always been fascinated with the conversation around the hand of God, because one of the things that I don't think gets mentioned enough is he jumps up and his hand is next to his head. So it looks like he's using his head. And Diego Maradona is famous for being short and he's going up against one of the best goalkeepers on the planet and he out jumps him to the point where his head is technically above Gordon yeah. Banks's hands. No one mentions the athleticism that it took to, to, to pull it off. And that's one of those things that's always blown my mind. And then the second goal to me is the greatest goal in soccer history because of the moment and the quality of the goal to beat from behind midfield, to beat eight players and score that goal in a World Cup semifinal to win the game. In those conditions, all of that to me, I've always considered that the greatest goal of all time. Um, and so I've always appreciated a lot of what Diego Maradona is. He was a clearly flawed human being. And I actually, you know, he's probably one of those guys where if he lived now, it would be even way worse. The things you know about him and the things he's done. Um, but he kind of lived in his own ecosystem. And I always appreciated what he meant to the soccer world. I think that's the thing for me. It's like if you can mention someone's name and and be able to talk to anyone about that person, that signifies how important they were just beyond what they did in their own life. And Diego Maradona definitely hit that level. You saw it with all of the tributes this weekend, Messi, a bunch of players and and so many different leagues and people who weren't Argentinian either. And that just goes to show you how much he meant. Uh, Another passing in the world of football, Papa Diop, Fulham USA guy, scored the goal in Senegal's stunning win against France in 2002 World Cup. That's one of my first real soccer memories watching something on TV. That was pretty young and like 12, 11, I think, but I vividly remember that. So that was super sad to see as well. Yeah. He's one of those, uh, like, you know, those deep cut blues players where it's like your favorite musician's favorite musician. Exactly. I think Papa <laughs> Diop was in that territory and you've seen it over the last week of like what he meant especially to so many African players um, and so many of them that were born in, in Europe and now represent African nations or don't. Uh, you've seen it from Pogba and Aubameyang and all of them, what this guy meant to them. And um, as someone who grew up loving the African game and African Nations Cup and all those things, uh, it was really sad to see, but it was touching to see the level of tribute for him alongside Maradona. Like he wasn't forgotten this weekend and that shows the respect people have for him. Talk about trailblazers in this game and and people doing things so that others could follow them. And I think Papa Diop falls in that crew for sure. To the football, 
I thought the games were generally terrible this week. <laughs> and I thought the Chelsea Tottenham game, the Chelsea Tottenham game was a great example of where I, I've been piling on Frank Lampard for weeks and weeks and weeks. So I have to say this now. Good job to him, I think, overall in this game. I thought I thought it was interesting that uh, Tottenham did exactly what we all thought they would do. There was nothing had changed from the earlier wins against City and, and the idea that they can take two to three chances and score no matter what. That is in their DNA. They couldn't do it against Chelsea, but I think both teams went in with the same kind of mindset and that's how we saw it play out. That coupled with the Liverpool stuff with VAR and, and the fact that now we literally are just beyond, we have lost the plot beyond some sort of realm of sanity. Like I just really had a tough time watching the game in England at least. I have Sky Sports on right now and Jurgen Klopp's being interviewed at a press conference. So you'll have more to talk about in 10 hours than whatever we have now. Um, I, I'm interested you thought that about Lampard just because, yeah, I guess Tottenham's gotten results in that way, but you would assume going into that then, how do you break this team down? How do you create chances? Um, and I don't know that Frank Lampard really has the best ideas of how to do it. And so I still question a little bit what he's done with this team. Now, I actually really like that he started Tammy Abram up top, and I thought Timo Werner's been better than I expected out on the wing just because watching him at Leipzig and his skill sets, I really think he's at his best up top, but he's worked. That's worked really well. So that's been impressive. Um, I just think there's there's a lack of ability in combination play to create opportunities out of central midfield for Chelsea. And I don't put that on Mason Mount purely because that's what everyone thinks is simple and easy to do. I understand the elements of Mason Mount's games that are game that are impressive. Um, but still, I think this is a Chelsea team that I think they had a shot on goal in the second minute and then in like the 88th minute. There should have been more in between. On the flip side with Tottenham, this is what we've said every single week. If they get results, fine. They don't care about playing soccer. Jose Mourinho doesn't care about that. And I would actually argue, because we're going to talk about Arsenal in a second because they're terrible, is these teams actually aren't that far apart. It's just that Harry Kane and Young yeah. <laughs> Son are so much better than anyone on Arsenal's roster. It's a great segue because the North London Derby is happening next week. I've tried to get it called off. I've told them to please postpone this. Nobody needs to see this, but it is still going to happen. Don't say that to Van because last time he tried to avoid a fixture, there was a global pandemic and it got delayed four months. So <laughs> I worry about your, what your ability is to call on. It's, it's, David, it's funny you mentioned that comparison because my Arsenal supporting friends that as we were crying to each other yesterday sent to me this. Uh, four points against City and Chelsea with three total shots on target. That's wild. Basically us, but without the points. The difference is that Harry Kane and Son are legitimately world class. Spurs' best players ensure that they will always have a chance to get a result playing that way. And I think you cannot say the same about Arsenal, even though they're kind of playing similarly. And this goes to, to the original point that Spurs have the right players for what they're trying to do. And I don't think Arsenal does. Questions have to be asked about Mikel Arteta now as well. Like It's wild how quickly things can change, but it legitimately is a terrible run-in. It's been a tough schedule, but this is the worst start in decades. I, I do not... Do not want to sound um, hyperbolic here, but like, what is the solution right now? Because I don't really know. Maybe you guys have a better idea than I do. I want to ask you, like, (laughs) do we have to ask questions about Arteta? Because on paper, this team is still in transition. 
Like they, they got a few signings, but they still have a long way to go. So I'm not surprised by that. Exactly. I think, and I think the defense you can say is Thomas Partey was not there. And the fact that he's not there is it just, it is everything for this club. The problem is if that is the, the, the excuse, then we've been set up to fail from the beginning because it should not depend on one player. And then who plays beside him? Because the issue with this club right now is that nothing happens in the midfield. It is an absolute black hole. Granit Xhaka cannot play in the Premier League anymore. And I think Danny Ceballos has been a disappointment as well since coming back from loan, which we were desperate to have that uh, come in and close. There's no one in the midfield. There is no one. And I think the idea is that if Moalnani can play beside Partey, you can probably survive till the end of the year. But there's just not enough good players there. And you have to be honest here, Alba has been a disappointment. He signed a thing and has been bad since... There are chances that the Canes and the Suns take that he has not taken in the past few games, and it's adding to this goal record. I don't disagree with you. Um, I think that Kane and Sun, although Aubameyang's been there for a few years, have so much. I mean, they have so much chemistry. It's taken so long, and they have a little bit more support underneath them with their central midfield in Sissoko and in Dombele, and what they're able to do and what they're able to provide for that team. Um, I just think in this whole conversation, I keep coming back to Real Madrid over the last 10 years, a team that has world-class players, but most of their work as a group is defensive. And the idea is, well, Ronaldo, Benzema, Cruz, Modric, whoever else can figure it out up top. And that's what they've always done. And it's worked for them because they have players of that quality. And you're seeing Tottenham in that vein now. And that could mean they win a title. And I think this is the type of year where a team like that wins because it's so hard to have all your best players together, to work on your patterns, to basically be a Man City or Liverpool and hit your peak as style. For example, for Liverpool this weekend, they had a back line that hadn't really played together. And when you press high, you have to have a back line that's completely cohesive. And one of the things Klopp talked about after the game was, we step high as a team. If we get beat, we have to drop deep as a team. Because when you drop off hard, You take away all the space behind you for the person who just broke the press to play into. And they were incapable of doing that because they didn't know each other. But that's going to happen to every team this year. And I think the way Tottenham plays probably gives you the best chance. And we've talked about it a couple times on this show. Now with Gareth Bale and the depth they have, because Harry Kane will get hurt. We all know that. That happens every year. They have enough probably to cover to get them over the edge. On the flip side for Arsenal, they have no one who can create by themselves. Because even Aubameyang, who's fantastic, isn't that type of player. He doesn't really take players out of the game 1v1. And he doesn't have the pieces around him to launch into the counterattack like Kane has to play guys through. And so that's your difference when you look at those two teams. On the flip side, because Arsenal are clean defensively, and when they play against teams that want the ball and push them like a Man City, That gives them openings because they don't give up a lot of chances. And as Man City pours players forward, they hit them on the counter. The problem is I don't think there's enough teams in the Premier League that do that for you to be an overall successful team over the course of a season. Really not looking forward to Sunday. North London Derby, 11.30-ish a.m. I'm going to try and find a way to excommunicate myself from the world for at least a couple hours that day. Lots of other random stuff. DG Hazard heard again. I mean, the alarm, the, the, the alarm is going off now pretty heavily about his future career uh, prospects based on this this injury. Yeah, it's been bad since he's got there. And it wasn't at Chelsea. And you start to wonder the what's the minutes in guys' legs and how much can they take? And especially a guy like him 
who constantly was getting fouled. His game was to beat players and then pick up fouls and pick up free kicks and pick up cards. Um, And he's basically been hurt since he got to Madrid. And on the one hand, Madrid's still been fairly successful. They won the league last year. I've seen a weird league. Didn't go as well as they wanted in Champions League. That's a credit to Madrid's depth and their ability because this guy was a $150 million signing. That is world record-breaking. And somehow Real Madrid are able to continue to go on. I don't know. It hasn't been the same injury with Hazard over and over, which is almost even more worrying to an extent. Um, And it's not something we've seen in the past. So we can't say, you know, this is how Hazard bounces back from long-term injuries. We've seen it before because we haven't. So there's a huge question mark for this club of what he's going to be. And I think it kind of puts them in a holding pattern because if he can't be the player they want him to be, then they need to go out and find someone else probably. I believe in Vinicius and Rodrigo. I don't know that Real Madrid does. And if he continues to be around, get hurt, but then come back, they can't move on. And then you're kind of in a holding pattern for a while trying to see if he's the guy that you think he can be. And I think that can hurt a club. And right now is a chance for Real Madrid to sort of rebuild and pounce before Barcelona does. And because these are both hurting clubs. And I don't know that Real Madrid is going to be able to do that because of the way they have to handle this Hazard situation. Milan is leading Serie A with 23 points, five points clear of Inter Milan, six points clear of Juve. The boys are back. This is for the nostalgia kings. This is a warm, warm thing to see, especially given Serie A has been a a one horse race. And if you want to be charitable, maybe a two horse race in the last couple of years. And FC Cologne beat BVB after a hilarious Halan miss, which warmed my heart because I love Cologne and I love that club as well. Anything else in Europe, fellas? Nick? David? No, I think that's most of it. Napoli smacked Roma. Roma was sitting in second and now Napoli have passed them to get into fifth uh, in Italy as well. And Inter Milan continues to be basically a clown show. They beat Sassuolo and then Conte comes out and says uh, Hakimi's not good enough to play at this level yet which seems like a really bad idea with like your only young signing that you made because everyone else is in a senior citizen home uh, over the course of the season. So uh, I guess things on par for Inter Milan right now. I just want to say I love Bundesliga. Uh, I've been watching all weekend and it's so firecracking and Bayern are just amazing and they're going to win everything always. That's it. There you have it. We'll leave you with Bayern's own Thomas Mueller hilariously describing the conditions in Stuttgart with an old famous axiom. When we come back after the break, ask AFP, MLS Western Conference stuff, Sergio Dest stuff, plus our favorite MLS seasons ever. Wow, what a question. That's coming up after the break. How do the British people say uh, you, you have to show it in a windy night in Stoke? Something like that. It was not windy and uh, Stuttgart is not Stoke, but uh, I, think, uh, I think Stuttgart is, is a team that uh, plays very well. Welcome back to a football podcast. It is now time for everyone's favorite mailbag segment, Ask AFP. Thanks to everyone who sent their own questions this week. If you didn't get the chance, uh, just hop on Twitter and use the hashtag AskAFP and send them our way. Our first question goes to Thomas, and he asks, what can we expect from Seattle, Dallas and SKC, Minnesota? I think these are both fascinating matchups. Quick early thoughts, Devang, and then to you, the Seattle-Dallas 
Seattle are heavy favorites to win MLS Cup across the board to me over every team. I would take them over the field right now even. Um, But the way Dallas played against Portland, sitting back, being compact defensively, that's something that gives Seattle trouble. So I would be surprised if this was a blowout in any way. I think it's going to be a tight game. And then on the flip side, SKC Minnesota, you'd assume going into it, SKC are favorites. But if Alan Polito isn't healthy, and I don't expect he will be for this game, I actually think Minnesota might be favorites for this game with the guys they have returning from international break uh, and what they've shown, their ability to kind of sit in a low block but be so dangerous on the counter. And this is an SKC team that got ripped open by San Jose last week. And now you add Kevin Molino, Jan Gregus, Bebo Reynoso, uh, Robin Lode. Those are all players that are superior to what San Jose put out there. And I think, Devang, this is going to be a worry for SKC. I like Minnesota as well. I, I was never really that high on SKC this year, but I, I think Adrian Heath has to like his chances in this match. But like you said, David, I think this is Seattle or who or who can stop Seattle. And I don't see anyone in the West at least putting up that much of a challenge maybe Columbus but at this point I think the betting markets believe Seattle the vast punditry believes Seattle I'm curious if they believe it themselves that they are supposed to just make it to the the MLS Cup final again and if that could be an issue for them against the FC Dallas team like you said that is basically one of the hardest working groups collectively so I I think if anything is going to be surprising out of the next group of games in the West. It might be this one for Seattle before the Western Conference final because I do like their chances to advance. I would like to see some shifts in the lineup from Lucci. Um, I thought Requarte was really bad in the position he put him in underneath Jesus Ferreira, who has struggled himself all of 2020. Um, I'd either push Ricarte into Ferreira's spot and bring on Tanner Tessman in central midfield or take out Ricarte and bring Tessman on. And I'd like to see Hollingshead start at left back. He's played him at left mid last game, I think, to kind of be a little bit safer. And Hollingshead is so good that he's a factor in midfield, but you lose him as an attacking fullback. And John Nelson just doesn't give you from that back line. And I'd argue the biggest advantage for Dallas is Hollingshead and Brian Reynolds against whoever, especially if Kelvin Leardam's out again uh, at the fullback spots for Seattle. So that's where I'd like to see Seattle or Dallas try and take the advantage, especially if you're trying to hit on the counter when Seattle gets forward, try and use those fullbacks to create those opportunities. And Ricardo Pepe scored the goal off the bench. The The 17-year-old's been better than than, uh, Frank O'Hara. And whenever anyone brings up the center forward position for the U.S. men's national team, and they talk about Sargent and they talk about the guys who are in Holland and playing in the second division, all those things. I always push Pepe's name in because I think this guy's for real. I think he is a finisher like the U.S. has maybe never had at the center forward position on top of the other things he can do well. And I'd love to see Lucci just give him the chance. I understand you've got a DP, you've spent money. It, it, it maybe doesn't make sense all the time, but I think what Dallas has built themselves on is this, and I would love to see Lucci go for it and give Pepe the start. Zachary asks, how important has Serginho Dest become for Barcelona? It's interesting if you think about it. They never really replaced Danny Alves, and Danny Alves might have been one of the most important guys on that Barcelona team if you remove Messi from the equation. He was. He was that important. Um, Sergio Roberto is hurt. Dest is playing a lot. He seems to be getting the hangs of things quickly. I watched most of the Dinamo Kiev match, sorry, last week. And I mean, 
I thought everyone was generally poor in that first half. I thought the second half was what you exactly you wanted to see from someone like Dest and what a Barcelona team that is not maybe able to create through the typical avenues that they have to since Alves' departure, they can go back there maybe, David. Yeah, and you look at uh, in the cross, failing to score against Atletico Madrid the game before when Dest didn't play kind of shows you what he brings to this team and his ability to play on both sides. Um, because we don't know how long Jordi Alba is going to be around. I mean, the guy's been a mainstay for this club, but that's how Des got into the team was Alba getting hurt and him getting the opportunity. So he's been massive. I think when you think of Barcelona and you talk about Johan Cruyff, I think Des has already overtaken him as the largest presence in Barcelona history and probably in the world game overall. Wait, are we supposed to respond to that? Okay. <laughs> I was going to troll you guys before because I've got Sky Sports on. Another plug for Sky Sports. And they showed the Fulham starting lineup. And I was like, oh, Anthony Robinson starting in the Premier League for uh, for as an American. Are there any Canadians that start in the Premier League? And then I was going to be like, and he doesn't even start for the U.S. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds I'm is going to Juve, guys. Yeah. Slurp it up. Soak it in. I'm out of bats. This weekend is destroying me. <laughs> Devang needs some pie to get some energy going. John asks, how do you feel about players like Neymar and Sergio Aguero who like to stream playing video games? I have a, an opinion on this, but what do you guys think? Devang, this is your world. You go first. Uh, it's it's interesting because like this, is, this has been, I guess, highlighted as the way now for leagues and sports to grow their fan base and to connect with the youth. And the youth are all online and playing video games. So the idea is that... They'll watch these pros play on Twitch. But, I mean, it's interesting that some of the best practices or the way that other companies have done it, more gaming-central companies, you can see it being used in some cases and not in, in other cases. And when they're not being used, it probably feels a bit better to me and less force-jammed, like, this is this has been devised by four PR flax and we're going to play Among Us with um, certain players who hit the certain markets that we need to, to appeal to. I think there's a way to do it. I'm a big tennis fan. I love what Gail Monfils and Andy Murray are doing on Twitch. I think that is a, a positive way to do it. Um, I have no issue with them doing it. I just think the way it's produced to me is is way is the way you can tell if perhaps it's it's real, quote unquote, or not. I know that a lot of players. I second everything Devang says. <laughs> I know a lot of players in general gets. I don't know. People seem to not like that they play video games because it's like, well, you should be concentrating on the fields. Like, why are you wasting your time? Which is hilarious, which is hilarious as well, right? Because like if the fact that you could see them doing something right now should comfort you that they are not (laughs) in the the bottom of a ditch somewhere getting loaded, right? You're literally watching them not do bad stuff. (laughs) And then they have so much free time on their hands when they're not doing things. Like at least they're playing video games and they're not, you know, going out partying and like you know whatever but the other thing is i think a lot uh i work with david myler a bunch at ea and and he's retired now and and fully into commentating but like the idea is that he started on twitch like he was doing stuff on twitch while he was still playing at hull and like kind of bridging that gap as his career ended into the next thing and he went from still doing stuff on twitch to now being on a bunch of broadcasts and i think that is what footballers are probably looking at as well where it's like what do i do after this And finally, Clay asks, which MLS season was your favorite or you found most exciting? 2020 obviously isn't getting picked, and I already call BS on anyone who picks 2018. Why can't we pick 2018? 
That's because um, because Toronto. Yes, sucks? that that was the year. Yeah, nice. I was just asking just to be sure that I knew what was going on. Um, I would say so. I think 2017 was a lot of fun. You had the treble from Toronto, but Columbus was so good. Um, you know, the Red Bulls were still under Jesse Marsh. You had a lot going on that I think made the league super interesting. So I'd say that one's up there. And then 2014, that Seattle Sounders team, that one supporter shield that year, I still think is one of, if not the best teams in MLS history. But you still had the Landon Donovan Galaxy that exists at the same time that knocks them out in the postseason. Then the Revs go on their run in the playoffs, in the Eastern Conference, but you had a good DC United in the regular season, which always makes the league fun because they have the best fans, one of the best atmospheres. Um, So that one stands out for me as well. I think kind of alone. Um, And then uh, the other one that I'd say is 2007, just because that was sort of early on in my time loving MLS. And um, I thought those Houston Dynamo teams and those Revs teams were just so good. And so to see them go toe-to-toe again in the final at RFK that had all the fans uh, and the way that whole season played out with them kind of going punch for punch, those are the ones that stand out for me. Uh, I mean, it'd be tough to pick against the the cup year for TFC, but I'll pick 2015 because that was my first full season with TFC. And and the first year, I I traveled a bunch with the club and pretty much went everywhere. The first year, the club made the playoffs. And then Seba's first year, where it basically was like a traveling carnival where you went to random American cities and this small Italian man would score insane goals to the amusement of everyone in the stadium, no matter who they cheered for. So that was super cool seeing it. In person, I remember that that game against Dallas where there was a thunder watch and a tornado watch and a lightning watch and the game, it took like six hours to end with Seba. TFC lost too, I believe 3-2, but Seba scored two insane goals that I cannot imagine being replicated, but they were just kind of like filler notes in a, in a really bizarre night. But that's what that kind of year was like. And then I think the, the clinch when Seba flew back from international duty and then played that same night and scored against Red Bulls. It was all there. It was my first real experience like doing this stuff as a job and it was super surreal and cool and ended in hilarious heartbreak at the hands of Montreal uh, 3-0, which was just the the ultimate way to lose to Drogba at the end of all of that. So I think 2015 was like my, all right, I can do this as a job. What? Like this is my life. So I think I'll pick that one. 2017 great year i'm also gonna say 2007 tfc's first year and david beckham uh joining the galaxy that was his first season as well and that was the first season i ever paid attention to mls so nice me and nick picked the same year love it mm-hmm. toronto is very bad but the throwing the things on the field is a legendary moment all right good job guys i have a pack for you quickly let's rattle this off we have uh, an Argentina team card with Diego Simeone on the front. Love it. Uh, and also, if you know a player, say you know the player. If you don't, don't say anything and I'll move on. Okay, here we go. Uh, Mauro Silva from Brazil. Dirk Medved, uh, Belgium. Alexis Mendoza, Colombia. Jan Age, Agi, Norway. And Kenneth Anderson from Sweden. So a bit of a dud pack, I would say. Um, But it's okay because we have two Roberto Baggio cards that is locked away in a vault. In the interest of uh, time, this is probably for the best because we're up against it. So good. It's good that we're ignorant and don't know who these people are. (laughs) Um, But we apologize to people affiliated with them, including their families. That's it. (laughs) 
What a show. That's a lot. Wow. Yeah. Anything else, fellas? Did we forget anything else? No. No. I, I think, think we kind of hit most yeah. of it. Massive thanks to Andy for coming on. Get hyped for that match if you're listening to this right when it came out. It's tonight, Tuesday night, 7.50. Very unique start time, but that should be fun. A reminder, we are on Twitter at a football pod, as well as on patreon.com forward slash a football podcast. Join us on the Discord, get this show ad free, and also help us get to our goal of 30 by the end of this year, which should be super cool. For Nick, David, and myself, thank you so much for listening to a football podcast. We'll talk to you next week.